This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's a point one edition of the Equalizer podcast, Dan Lawletta with John Halloran. We were with you just a little while ago talking about the NWSL Challenge Cup. Now we've got the matchups for the preliminary round of the Challenge Cup. So we will talk about those. And, John, we just had the draw, kind of the debut, I guess, of the NWSL on CBS Sports. Uh, nice to see it. couple of flaws, notably that they announced the first round of games which was the first three match days which was i guess the what four match six matches so some teams won some teams two and a little bit of a lag time for the other rounds to complete everybody having four games in the preliminary schedule don't want to say that there was anything nefarious going on but it presented i thought a bit of a questionable vibe because Rigged draws are something that, whether they're legit, whether they happen or not, they they dog soccer. Every World Cup, every European Championship, wasn't a great look. That said, jump on that if you want. Otherwise, just what what jumps out at you about the matchups? Well, I definitely think we we should talk about that because they showed I think six of the eighteen group stage games, so we didn't see two thirds of the schedule. It it seems to me based on the way that they were doing the draw, that they were basically just picking positions and then whichever number you got picked put you into a certain slot, which then when the other teams all got picked, that provided the matchup. So there's two issues I saw. One was that they kept calling it a seeded draw, which is for anybody who follows sports is something that throws you off because seeds generally indicate that there has been some sort of process to put teams in order from the best to the worst. And in those types of seeded tournaments, whether we're talking about how um, one plays four in the NWSL playoffs or whether how we talk about one plays 16 in the first round of March Madness, that implies that best plays worse. And that is, you know, not really how this worked out. I think if, if you look at it, it doesn't match up necessarily how things played out um, last year. So that that's a problem right there. And then, of course, if it was just drawing numbers to determine matchups, it seems like it would have been very easy to have a graphic that you just dropped the name or the number in, and then, boom, it populated that team in all of the spots, which is what we saw for the first six games. So when they would announce a team, you would see that team pop up in certain spots on their graphic, why that graphic didn't extend to the entirety of of the group stage is a little bit confounding. And for a moment, I thought maybe there was something where like winners would play and losers would play. 
where there was some sort of formula to figure out the matchups as you go, because you don't have to worry about travel. Everybody's in the same spot. You have to worry a little bit about rest days. But, you know, like in the college World Series for baseball, for instance, you know, you get winner's brackets and loser's brackets and things like that. But that didn't seem to be the case. So hopefully it was just an oversight. You know, when you see rain thorns on that last match day or the last match day for those two teams, you know, that doesn't help with the, you know, if anybody's thinking that there was something going on behind the scenes, as far as the seeding goes, when you see Courage Thorns to start, those are the only two teams in this league to have won either trophy since 2016. So very clearly that is, you know, that's not an advantage to either team based on that. But I guess that's a good place to start matchup wise, because even though I think that matchup has gotten stale and I'm not really sure what to make of the Thorns, although I think, you, as we talked about the other day, you can say that about almost every team in the league. But that's also the Courage's toughest matchup because after that they've got Dash, Pride, and Royals, neither of whom have made the playoffs in at least the last two years. So, uh, you know, we talked about the Courage could run this thing over and there's still knockout games to go after that, but pretty good draw for the Courage. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, one playoff team and then um, I think three of the teams that, you would expect are would not be in in the playoffs in a normal type season. And if you're the Thorn, you know the Thorns are one of the teams where you know they they got the top two picks, both forwards. You know they redid their team a pretty good bit. You know they traded Emily Sonnet. You know we need to see if Lindsey Horan can come back and be something more akin to the 2018 Lindsey Horan than the Lindsey Horan from last year, who I thought was kind of average. Uh, debuting that team against the Courage, you know, if the Courage are hitting on all cylinders, because not only are the Courage good, but they play, like you know, they, they're like bullies on the playground. They're very fast, and I think they're probably style-wise, as well as the fact that they're good, maybe the most difficult team to play against if you've never been in a pro environment before. Well, and the fact that, and we talked a little bit about this in the weekend pod, but the teams that did the least amount of restructuring have the biggest advantage walking into day one, just because their their players, their systems are going to be very comfortable to everybody. They're not, you know, we talk a lot about a team like Sky Blue doing all of this improvement. Well, that means you've got four or five new players you need to integrate into a system and you have to do it over a seven game stretch. That's virtually impossible. Flip side is Orlando, not a new coach, but, yeah. you know, he. I think last year was almost a wash for Mark Skinner. They start with the Red Stars, who, like we said yesterday, pretty much return the midfield and defense. They might struggle to score, although I think, I think if we played a full season, we would find out that the Red Stars could figure out how to score. Can they do it in a month? We'll see. Uh, then after that for Orlando are the Thorns, and then... Where am I here? The Courage, yeah, courage. And, then, and then Sky yep. Blue, who, you know, I guess they're those two are in the same boat. But that's no easy task for a coach who is under the gun, bringing in a lot of new young players. Um, and, we you know, we don't know about Alex Morgan, but I, I think it's a very tough deal here for Orlando. Yeah. And, and you know, we talked about that uh, this weekend, too, for Mark Skinner. <laughs> he looks at this this group, you know, he's there's a pretty good chance they could finish in ninth. And then what do you do? Do you fire him after four more games when you didn't even get, you know, he doesn't even have half of a season really to kind of prove 
that he made any improvements or changes to how they finished in 2019. And, you know, we were just talking about Sky Blue. Orlando plays Sky Blue in the last game. So if you have a team that's looking to integrate new players like Sky Blue, now you're playing them when they've had three games to figure stuff out. So even that is not going to be an easy game. Right, although it's, not, it's only Sky Blue's third game, so two games figured out, but points still taken that it's not the first game for Sky Blue. Right. Obviously, you know, Thorns ran to end it. It would be nice if that game mattered, but it'll probably only matter for seeding unless one of them really gets in a bad spot and is flirting with going home. And you can't even say, well, you know, it, you know, it's remember when they played a couple of years ago and it was kind of for home field in the playoffs, but there is no home field here unless you're Utah. But even that is really only because they play there regularly. There won't be any fans. So, you know, the seating, which will be real seating, but the seating for the knockout rounds really won't be, you know, won't have any bearing in terms of home and away. Yeah. Uh, we didn't get Sky Blue and the Spirit, which was the one matchup. Uh, that we wanted to see. How about this July 1st Courage Dash? The Dash are the team that won't play in this first round. So this will be the second da- uh, Courage game and the first Dash game. I'm thinking that's advantage Courage, even though they'll only have three days off in between. Yeah, and I think the Dash got a, a tough go of it, too, because not only do they have North Carolina there, but they've got to play Chicago and then Sky Blue and the Spirit, who I think are both you know, in that contender realm. And, you know, I think if you win a game, you're okay, right? What are we expecting for the team that finishes night? Because you can theoretically go <laughs> yeah. 0-4 and, and get through, right? Right. And we, we had this discussion on the weekend, too. And, um, you know, I said put the over-under at 2, right? Because if you win one game, you probably advance. Yeah, I can't imagine a scenario where you win a game and don't and don't move on. Yeah, and especially when you have teams that are notorious for tying games. You know, even, you know, I would say that Chicago probably got, I wouldn't even say probably, I would say Chicago got the easiest draw of any team. They play no uh, playoff teams from last year, but they're also notoriously slow starters in the season. And we also know that they are notorious for tying games. So, you know, they could go in this, you know, scenario where they, tie three of the four games and lose one and end up with only three points. And their schedule is Pride, Royals, Dash, Sky Blue. And, I mean, the Pride almost have to be better. I don't think the Royals will be better. Uh, The Dash could go either way, and then we'll see about Sky Blue. Um, You're a little bit more tied into the Red Stars than me. What do you make of the Rory Rory Dames um, and I just screwed myself up. Who's the Royals coach now? Harrington. Craig Harrington. Harrington. There you go. Uh, what do you make of that coaching matchup so early on in this tournament? Yeah, I was I was happy to see that just because I think it'll be fun to watch uh, from my perspective. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, Harrington's going to know Chicago's setup. He's going to know their roster better than anyone else in the league. So he is obviously going to be set up to tactically put together a game plan that gives his team a pretty big advantage, I think. I wonder if he's sitting there thinking, man, if only I knew that all the soccer would be in Utah, we could have hung on to Becky Sauerbrunn, who asked for the trade to be in Portland. Now she's going to be spending all of her time in Utah also. 
Um, what else? Um, it, you know, if you're not looking at the schedule, the game days, and there's two games a day, um, no times announced that I'm aware of, but June 27th and then June 30th, which you pointed out off air is a little bit awkward. Then July 1st, the middle games are July 4th, 5th, and 8th, and then the 9th, 12th, and 13th, and we don't necessarily have a schedule for the knockout round yet. So this is all kind of developing a little bit um, in typical NWSL oddness, I think. But uh, the, but those are the game dates. You know, I mean, July 4th, like July 4th is weird because normally I've been to games on July 4th. I was at a Sky Blue WPS game on July 4th, and you could literally hear every single word the players were saying. There was nobody there. This is kind of a different year. It's a Saturday. Do people Are people going to sit inside and watch these on July 4th, or do they want to sit in their backyard, you know, maybe have some neighbors over and not worry about soccer? I, I think it honestly could go either way. Yeah, me too, because as we talked about before we started, like every day for some of us is kind of blurred into every other day, and Saturday doesn't feel a lot different, I know, on my end than Tuesday. So, yeah. um, you know, I really don't care what what day these games happen to, to, to be on. I'm going to be watching all of them. So, um, I mean, anything else on the page? Like you got Royals Courage. Royals were the team that beat the Courage two years ago, but I don't know that that holds any water at this point. Well, the one thing I'd say about Utah is that next to Orlando, I think they got the toughest draw. I mean, they've got three of last year's playoffs teams in, in Chicago, the rain and, and the courage, but then the spirit to open things up and the spirit are another team who didn't make a lot of major changes and already have a system that these young players seem to have really bought into. So that's a brutal game to start with too. Right. And you know, if you're, you know, if you're listening, you're going to say, well, they traded Mallory Pugh. You barely played for them last year. So I don't look at that as a loss in the same way that it, that it would be if she had played the entire season, because I think most of what they did didn't have anything to do with Mal Pugh. Right. And they, you know, they've still got Nielsen and Staub and Hatch and Sullivan, um, that whole midfield and defensive core that they built up last year, which was very strong and young. Thing about the Royals, which is probably different from the Pride. Definitely different from the Pride, maybe different from Sky Blue. With UF Press and Rodriguez, they can turn a game yep. in a heartbeat, even if you're getting beat down. You know, Carly Lloyd for Sky Blue, maybe, but she's not – I don't think she's in the same – I don't think she's the same type of scorer as Press or Rodriguez. I think Carly needs to maybe be more into the flow of the game than those other two to make a big difference late. Yeah, and I'd say, too, that – one thing about that that's important is that in a one-off type situation, if you have a couple of goal scorers, you might still be able to win a game three to two. If I was Utah, Utah fan, I'd be worried, obviously, about the back line because losing Sauerbrunn. Anytime you're messing with a center back combination, there's going to be some chemistry adjustment issues, but um, they could just play really well in the back right from the start and then uh, get you know, some goals from those two, although we don't actually know for sure whether press is going to play. We had heard in one of the media calls, I think last week that O'Hara was in market, I believe, but press uh, was not yet. So I don't know if they know for sure if she's going to be participating. And I know I've already heard from a lot of my uh, lovely Twitter followers that there have, there were some major names not included in the montages on the CBS show. 
Um, is there something to that? Very possibly, but I'd rather not speculate player for player at this point. And I don't even know that every player has made their final decision yet. And I don't even know if they're training with their respective teams, if that means they've made their decision. I don't expect every player in the league to be there, but I expect most of them to be there. Yeah, and we don't know – well, I should say this. We do know that in certain markets, we know that certain high-profile players are not training with their teams. So, you know, uh, I think you're right. It's probably best if we don't go player by player, but uh, we've all heard things. We all know that certain players aren't in market. And we also know that some players are still waiting for certain questions to be answered before they make that final decision. So a lot of this, I would suspect at this point is, is still up in the air. Uh, if you're Mark Parsons, are you actually happy you get the courage out of the way First, little baptism by fire for Sophia Smith and company, and, <laughs> yeah. and it gets easier after that. Maybe, you know, I, I think um, that again, this is something we talked about on Saturday. But you know, Smith and Weaver and how they adjust um, to the league right off the bat is huge because they don't have the normal span of a season to get adjusted to professional soccer. I'm also looking June 30th, rain and sky blue, and they've had some memorable games over the years, not necessarily the same teams. But how about Freya Coombe, the more experienced NWSL coach in that matchup? Because I don't care who you are, we have seen it in Major League Soccer forever. You come into the U.S. leagues with their bizarre rules and whatnot, take some time. So however good you know Ben Stiddy is going to be, uh, that you know this is not an easy way for him to – to jump in. Well, and we've had this discussion, I don't know how many times, even going back to last summer when we talked about Amadine Henri and how that affected her play, um, being able to play in the NWSL and prepare for that physicality. You know, we saw with the French national team, them perhaps not being fully prepared to match, you know, physicality, strength and speed of, of a U.S. team. We know that based on past experience that a coach like Ben Steedy might come into the league and not be fully prepared uh, to prep his team for what those games are actually going to be like. And uh, one more thing from me, I'm a little bit concerned and I, this is just something that crossed my mind now as we're talking, but you've got these last four games, July 12th and 13th. I'm a little concerned, especially if you get a scenario, because Orlando is the odd team out that'll be done before those two days. Let's say Orlando is 0-4, terrible goal difference, and we already know they're going home. Are those last four games going to be a little bit dull, or you know, could we get a big influx of bench players, which is great for them, but not necessarily right. if you want to see the best players. Might that be just you know one of those go through the motions and get ready for the knockout phase? For sure. It's just like a, a World Cup group stage. If you're already through, do you want to rest some players? Do you want to rotate some players? Um, and you know what? That's uh, can be in and of itself its own fun opportunity to see some players that we don't normally get to see. Um, and it, it's going to give you some rest. If you've already played three games, so if you're one of these teams that's playing on the opening, so if we look, Chicago and Orlando both play on the opening date, and then they both play on the ninth. So they've already put those games in. Now Orlando would be done, but Chicago, for instance, has already played, you know, three games over that span. If they know they're in, 
why would you play your first team? Yeah, unless you just don't think that they're in rhythm enough yet. Right. Then you might do it. And, you know, remember the World Cup? The U.S. was part of the last match day. So right. I don't know whether it was four or five days less that they had. This the same thing here. But, it, you know, again, you wonder why June 27th and then not again until the 30th. I'm sure there's a reason it might even not have anything to do with soccer, but you know, those teams that play on the 27th Red Stars, Pride, Courage, Thorns have uh, extra time to get everything in, especially, you know, the Red Stars play the first game, the first date, June 27th, and then not again till the last match date, July 13th. That's a lot different than Orlando going June 27th to July 9th or the dash, you know, July 1st to 13th. Yeah, it's, you know, an extra four days. That's a difference. That's a difference on hamstrings. That's a difference on joints. You know, um, we don't, obviously these are not things that you can quantify, but we do know that players over the course of tournaments, especially playing on short rest, do tend to start to accumulate muscle injuries later in the tournament. So I would not, um, negate that that be, that that's a factor, uh, that's obviously going to come into consideration for these teams. And we will learn a lot about which players were or what players were doing during this quarantine, you know, who was really getting at it and maybe who was taking some time off on the training ground at least. What you you like the five subs? Um that's a good question. I don't know. Um I mean I, I would say that I've always kind of been a proponent of them adding some sort of head injury sub. I always thought uh, that that made sense, but I also and this is more from an international perspective, kind of liked when they only had two subs because I think it made it more fair in the sense that smaller countries that might not have as much talent could throw their best 11 out there and that it uh, helped the teams that were maybe bigger, had bigger player pools, having a little bit more depth, being able to add that third sub. Um, obviously, there's some different issues here with the compacted schedule and uh, obviously you know, other leagues have gone to this with the COVID pandemic, but um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I have a, a strong opinion either way for this tournament. Because I kind of feel like, and like you said, this is taking the lead of other major leagues around the world, AKA major men's leagues. But I, I almost feel like it's partly for show because if you're, all right, so you go three to five, you're still asking five field players to go 90 minutes every game. So basically what you're saying is we're going to take two players who would have played 90 minutes and allow them to play less. So, it, you know, I feel like if you're really going to do it, then why not let all 10 field players sub off? If, you know, if you're really thinking that is for safety of the players. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can tell you that uh, one of the things I don't like about international friendlies when they go up to seven Six, subs yep. is that the last 15 minutes of the game are the most disjointed mess you could possibly imagine. Especially when it's seven, nothing. <laughs> well, that too, but, you know, it, it's just, it just ruins the rhythm of the game. And so, um, again, I realize there are some unique concerns here, so I don't want to in any way diminish that, but it, uh, probably will create some unusual rhythms in these games. Cause I always feel like even with the three subs, which coaches make legitimate subs and which coaches just empty out the sub cards no matter what? 
You know, yeah, like, I, I, I don't fix a thing. I'm, I, I tend to get frustrated at coaches who don't make changes earlier. I'm a big proponent of, you know, if it's not working right at halftime, sub two of them out, um, maybe save one for injury or, or sub around the 60th minute. But we tend to see coaches make a lot of changes more like 80 minutes on um, when the value of those subs is probably, in my opinion, a little more dubious. I'm fine with that, but I also feel like sometimes you get a team playing well or a player playing well. And it's almost like, well, I usually sub her out in the 68th minute, so let me do it. Even though the way the game is flowing might dictate that you should leave her on for longer. Yeah. So that's just my opinion. All right, we are off target. Uh, anything else from you on this tournament, what we know so far? No, nope, I'm excited to see some soccer. I'm excited to hopefully get back into our regular writing rhythm here as we gear up with some some preview coverage, too. Yep, same here. Check us out on the web at EqualizerSoccer.com for premium content, EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. And if you like what you've heard, please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. We'll be back next weekend, most likely with a 2015 draft review. I don't think we have enough to do previews of this tournament up until it starts, but we'll see what we get at. But we will at some point do a 2015 draft review because we had fun doing 13 at 14 and got pretty good feedback. John Halloran, my name is Dan Lawletta. Thanks for listening to this point one edition of the Equalizer Podcast. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.